Welcome to the Laura Plantation Podcast. Laura Plantation provides a cultural experience unlike any other in the United States. Here you will find the difference that exemplifies Creole Louisiana. Explore the rigors of 200 years of daily life along with the sobering experience of slavery as it happened at one historic site on the banks of the Mississippi River in the middle of New Orleans plantation country. In this podcast, historian Katie Morlos Shannon and director of PR and marketing Joseph Dunn will be your guides into the Creole world, offering you true, personal, compelling stories of the people who lived, worked, and died at this unique historic site. Real history about real people. Welcome to the Laura Plantation Podcast, Season 1, Episode 9. Today we're going to talk about Creole women and New Orleans, the importance of the city to Creole women, and in particular to the Duparc and Lacoul family that owned Laura Plantation. The city of New Orleans and, and the French Quarter were the epicenter of Creole society. And Creoles would meet each other and mingle there, uh, arrange marriages. So this was a very important place for Creole women, for Creole business people. They would go there um, to handle their the sale of their crops, to buy supplies, to get loans from the bank, um, and unfortunately also to um, purchase enslaved people and sell them. So the city of New Orleans was both a very important place for Creoles in terms of business and economics, but it was also very significant for them socially. In the wintertime, Creoles would leave the plantations and go to the city, to New Orleans and the French Quarter, and gather for what was known as the season. They had parties, balls, they would attend the French opera. They participated in carnival. And this was all a very important traditional aspect of their lives. The sign that you had arrived in Creole society was the ownership of a French Quarter home. So for plantation owners like the Duparks and Lacouls of Laura Plantation, Having a, a place in the city was really very much an expression of their wealth, their social status, and it, it gained attention from people. It, it was a showcase um, in a way that the plantation home wasn't. So their home in the country, out on the plantation, it was very much um, a working farm in many ways. It was more rustic. And to people like Laura, Laura found the plantation to be quite boring. Nothing much happened there. Really, she talks about um, racing horses and riding horses as one of her favorite things to do there and really not much else. She found it incredibly boring and there wasn't much to do. But 
New Orleans held all kinds of social entertainments. And as Laura grew older, she would go there or spend most of her time there. And the, the case was true also for the previous generation, for her father, Emile, and her aunt, Emma, and Elizabeth, their mother, Laura's grandmother. So to achieve this height of social status, a, a Creole needed to find enough money and to have enough revenue to have a home base in the city. And the Duparks and Lacools had reached a point where that was possible for them. So the Toulouse Street mansion was their home in the city. It was on Toulouse Street and uh, the corner of Toulouse Street and Bourbon Street, right in the heart of the French Quarter. The Toulouse Street mansion is now known as the Olivier House. It's a hotel in in the city, and it was con- constructed in 1839 by French architects J.N.B. and J.I. Dupuis. The brick and stucco building was about uh, was three stories tall, and it contained over 20 rooms. The Duparc and Lacoule families and their heirs owned the property for 90 years. On November 4th, 1850, Duncan Nicholson Hennen, through his agent Aristide Miltenberger, sold the Toulouse Street property to Raymond Lacoule, Laura's grandfather, and his brother-in-law, Louis Duparc, Laura's great uncle, for $18,000. That would be approximately $700,000 today. In less than two years, both men would be dead. Only a month after purchasing the property, Raymond Lacoule died, and his share of the property went to his wife, Elizabeth. Louis Duparc died in April 1852, and his wife, Fanny, inherited his half-interest in the property. Upon Fanny's death, three years later, her sister-in-law, Elizabeth, became the sole owner of the home at 102 Toulouse Street. 102 Toulouse Street was the um, address through the 1800s up into the late 1890s. And around 1900, New Orleans got um, a new numbering system. So during the time Laura's family owned it and lived there, it it was primarily known as 102 Toulouse. The house underwent extensive renovations in the early 1850s at the time of their purchase. They they wanted to fix up this home and make it a showcase of their wealth and be able to entertain important members of society. And this was really the place where they showed off their wealth, where there were um, fine fine marble mantles and uh, architectural details and a courtyard with a garden. This was the place that they went to to impress people. At the time of the Duparc and Lacoule purchase, the house had only one entry, a port cochere carriageway. The family converted this into a central hallway and then constructed a more formal entrance with a marble door frame and marble steps fronting the street. And then they had a separate lot that Raymond Lacoule had purchased, and it was turned into a courtyard garden. 
These additional improvements cost around $6,000 at the time. It would be $230,000 today, and they were deemed necessary due to the extensive household occupying the property. So we're talking about essentially about a million-dollar home at this point. At first, the residence was occupied by Elizabeth Duparc Lacoule and her children, Emile and M.A., and then her brother and sister-in-law, who were co-owners, Louis Duparc and Fanny, his wife. And at times, um, Laura's uncle, great uncle, uh, her um, grandmother Elizabeth's other brother, Flagey Duparc, would visit along with his wife, Mercelite. So it was this multi-generational household and a place for them all to gather. In the late 1850s, several members of the family died, and the household expanded to include Emile's wife, Desiree, and M.A.'s husband, Yvonne de la Belle, along with their three children, Raymond, Louis, Mercelite, Flagey, Elizabeth, Yvonne de la Belle, and M.A., all died at the 102 Toulouse Street house mansion. So all these important members of the family, did not, they didn't die on the plantation. They died in the city with um, closer access to medical care and to um, a priest and, and those kind of things that you would want to have access to if someone was ill or dying. Their funerals were all held inside the home, and then there would be a procession to the family tomb in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. That tomb still exists today, and it has some very magnificent ironwork on it. The Civil War brought dramatic changes to the Toulouse Street home. As federal gunboats were approaching New Orleans, the LeCoul family fled to central Louisiana, and they left the house boarded up and empty. The city was quickly taken over by Union troops, and these soldiers, they all needed lodgings. So you had this enormous amount, this large group of um, military men, and um, there grew to be a housing shortage. So... The city became a place um, with inflated rents, and the army then decided to do something about this. So Lieutenant Russell, who was a Signal Corps officer, and several other officers took possession of the French Quarter Mansion that was the, in the LeCoul's property. So the army took it over. They believed that the owner of the house was a member of the state legislature and had participated in the, in the secession convention and was now serving in the Confederate Army. So this was absolutely the case for Emile Cool, Laura's father. And he was he did all of those things and was fighting in the Confederate Army at the time. But it was not the case for his mother. Elizabeth. Elizabeth was not in the Confederate Army, um, and she had not participated in the Secession Convention. So there was um, some miscommunication there. She was, of course, a Confederate sympathizer and a plantation owner. And so the house that was, was actually owned 
and by Elizabeth the Cool. It was in her name, and she claimed French citizenship through her father and husband. So in reality, she should never have had the house confiscated from her because of her French citizenship. As many as 50 soldiers occupied the home beginning around October 1862 through the end of March or beginning of April 1863. They wreaked havoc in the house and inflicted extensive damage to all of the fine linen, the furniture, upholstery, plasterwork, and portraits that were within. When Elizabeth and her daughter M.A. and her husband, Yvonne de la Belle, when, when they were finally able to come back to the city and return to the house, many of the marble mantles had been broken. The carpets were worn and torn, and the armoires were broken, and the contents within removed. The soldiers had also helped themselves to the wine cellar and stores. Laura Lacoul said that her grandmother's house was quote, left by the Yankees in a state of horror, desecration, and filth beyond description, end quote. Oddly enough, though, her mother Desiree's rooms on the, up on the third floor were left almost untouched. Her carved rosewood furniture remained in good condition, and she there was a hypothesis about why this was the case, Desiree, Laura's mother, believed that the presence of a little old-fashioned sheepskin trunk covered with all the paraphernalia of a high mason had caused the soldiers to be respectful of her possessions. Though the Yankees took her father's trunk, they left the rest of the furniture and furnishings, perhaps because some of them, like her father, were masons. During her first few years as a student at Madame Senna's school, Laura Lacoul lived with her grandmother um, at her home on Toulouse Street because Laura's parents, their main residence at the time, was out on the plantation. So Laura um, lived at her grandmother's house. 102 Toulouse Street was located about 30 feet to the rear of the French Opera House. Uh, the French Opera House was a major uh, site and a really important piece of um, Creole social life and art and, and music. It was um, kind of the, the real epicenter of Creole life and a real um, expression of Creole identity. Laura and her cousin Fanny de Lobel attended the opera twice a week. Their grandmother held a season box at the opera. It, the, it was called a Benoir, um, which she described as a prestigious seat where every year young debutantes would sit in order to watch and be watched. That really captures the season in New Orleans, the, the social season, that they were there watching and being watched. During intermission, gentlemen would leave the young ladies and seek refreshments at a restaurant across the street. They would eat pot to show, little hot patties or hot dogs, and then they would return with some for the ladies. During her time in the city, Laura encountered Marie Laveau, the queen of the voodoos, as she called her. Laura's nurse, Anna, 
was familiar with voodoo practice in New Orleans. And Laura described her as, quote, making a grand salutation to a big masculine looking um, black woman who passed by. And that was Marie Laveau. Laura recall, also recalled certain practices of voodoo practitioners. She said to do harm or cause illness or the death of someone they disliked, they would sprinkle certain white powders mixed with chicken feathers, hair, and some other absurd things on doorsteps. The person finding these signs at their door would be terrorized and get into trouble. Right at um, 3 o'clock in the morning in 1883, one night, Mary Smith, a woman and then from the neighborhood, threw coal, coal oil on Mr. Geniza's doorstep, which was at 97 Toulouse, just across from where the, the LeCool and um, now Dullo Bell mansion was, our Toulouse Street house. Her purpose was, quote, voodooing him, and she was sentenced to 30 days in jail or a fine of $25. So this kind of activity was going on in the neighborhood all around uh, where the Lacools and the Delobels lived, and Laura would have witnessed this, and it would have been part of life. The Lacool mansion was by far the most grand home on the block. The street reflected the diversity inherent in an older section of an urban port city. Within a one-block radius, you could find private residences, rental apartments, storefronts, the performer's entrance to the French Opera House, a pawnbroker and loan office, a saloon, a coffee house, a leather and shoe shop, the Orleans Institute, which was a respectable girls' school, and a junk shop and secondhand store and a brothel. Crime was always present and shady characters frequented the street. Even at such an important and heavily tra uh, trafficked intersection as that of the Bourbon and Toulouse Street intersection, um, right in front of the French Opera House, the street was often rutted, full of mud and in disrepair pickpockets and thieves took advantage of the crowds departing the opera house in the evenings arson intoxication robbery stabbings shootings assault larceny and disturbing the peace all took place only steps away from the lacool's elegant french quarter mansion At the rear of the LeCool and Delobel mansion in the French Quarter was the corner of Dauphine and Toulouse Street, and it was a hotbed of criminal activity, and they, there were lots of arrests made there in that area. There was a saloon on one side, and then at 106 Toulouse, the property directly adjacent to the LeCool residence, there was a brothel. Um, and there were there was routinely um, theft and con artist operating and um, things of that nature. In the late 1860s and early 1870s, a woman named Elizabeth Syfax was a, a, a prostitute on Toulouse Street, and she was also a regular in the second district court. She stole $300 in greenbacks 
and another $300 in gold from a man named F. Farrier, a visitor to the brothel where she lived and worked. Mr. Farrier had been, quote, sleeping off the effects of a debauch at the time of the robbery. Four other prostitutes were arrested as accessories. Two years later, Elizabeth Syfax and a friend were at it again. Um, she and her friend had drugged a man named James Henderson while he spent the night in their house and robbed him of $105. In 1872, she was still at it, and um, Elizabeth and her two accomplices, this is Elizabeth, the prostitute of Toulouse Street, not Elizabeth LaCoule, the owner of the mansion in the same block, was described by the Picayune as, quote, a uh, one of the dusky damsels from Toulouse and Burgundy streets. They were charged with feloniously entering the pockets of two men. That same year, a policeman was attacked and wounded on the corner of Toulouse and Dauphine streets. At 10 o'clock in the evening, an officer was stabbed with a dirk knife in the right side near his kidneys. And his, he, when describing his assailant, um, he noted that he was arrested with a prostitute named Lizzie Smith, and they were charged with murderous assault. The corner was still a haven for prostitution in 1880 when Elizabeth LaCoule's nearest neighbors were Lucy Rock, age 18, and Alice Davis, age 20, women who were listed as courtesans in the census report. Lucy Rock had been arrested several years before, charged, charged with larceny after taking $55 from a man presumably seeking her services. By 1885, the newspaper, the Picayune, called for the demolition of the property at 106 Toulouse Street, a building they described as in a dangerous condition and inhabited by thieving prostitutes of the worst kind. Directly across the street from Elizabeth LaCoule's home, within earshot of the prostitutes in the brothel, was the Orleans Institute, an academy for young ladies. It was established in the residence of Chloe Grandchamp Delpuche, a grand dame of Creole society who was a, a close friend of the Duparc and LaCoule families. So this was a very diverse neighborhood. Um, this school, this girl's school, was started around 1862, which was during the Civil War, and it was likely because the family was one of the many Creole aristocrats that um, were left in reduced circumstances as a result of the war. The Delpouche sisters um, ran the school for at least three decades into the early 1890s. After Elizabeth Duparc LeCoul's death in 1882, the Toulouse Street property was auctioned off to her daughter, Aimée de Lobel. The value of the property had suffered a severe depreciation as a result of poor economic conditions following the Civil War and also a migration of the elites from the Old French Quarter to the uptown area of the city. Some of that was caused by the criminal activity I previously described. The French Quarter became a seedier, rougher neighborhood and not one that um, people 
in the upper echelons of society who were very wealthy wanted to live in. And um, the French Quarter deteriorated and property values fell. It's very different today, but um, at that time, it was not um, a very in vogue place to live by the 1880s and 1890s and into the early 20th century. Yvonne de Lobel, Aimé's husband, died less than a year after Aimé purchased by auction the Toulouse Street House. And of course, he was he had his funeral there and was transported to the cemetery from the home. M.A. Lacoul de Lobel, who had taken on her mother's home and was living on the in, on Toulouse Street, survived her husband by only five years. Their children kept the property and they did live in it occasion on occasion. They used it as a residence when they were in the city. Um, until they finally relocated to France. On May 28, 1940, Fanny de Lobel sold the house to George and Bessie Brown, severing her family's ties with a neighborhood in which they had owned property for 90 years. And thus the Toulouse Street home passed into other hands, and is now a hotel that you can go and stay at in the French Quarter today. And it's very interesting to see the dichotomy between Laura Plantation out in the country and their lifestyle there, and then what is now known as the Olivier House, the Lacoules House in, in the city, and their, how they conducted life there and what their surroundings were like. Thank you for joining us. We invite you to visit Laura Plantation, where you can walk in the footsteps of the people you've learned about today. For more information, see our website, www.lauraplantation.com. Our tour is based on thousands of pages of primary source documents amassed through tenacious research spanning three decades. At Laura, you will walk in the footsteps of the people who made history. Be in the rooms where it all happened. Join us again next week to hear real history about real people.